Welcome to the party, pal. Hello, and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews and my alternative Christmas movies, or as I'm calling it, Festive Fights. Starting with Die Hard, then Die Hard 2, Lethal Weapon 1, and finally Batman Returns. Let's get this party started with everyone's favourite alternative Christmas movie that isn't a Christmas horror, Die Hard. The launchpad and cash cow of Bruce Willis from soap star to movie star. This movie is also the blueprint for most action films for the next 10 years. It was Die Hard in a blank. Looking at you under stage, looking at you. This was also a based from a book, Nothing Lasts Forever, by Roderick Strong, which was a follow-up book to The Detective, which was a movie, also a movie, that starred Frank Sinatra. So he could have been John McClane. Well, I'm on the could have bandwagon, it could have been Clint Eastwood, as he owned the rights to the book back in the 80s, and planned to do it. But fortunately, it fell through. Enough of these could have. Let's move on with the actual star of Bruce Willis, who got paid and unheard of at the time, $5 million for his most iconic role. He was a soap star slash bit part actor, famous for his role in Moonlighting before Die Hard. In fact, he pulled a Michael J. Fox and filmed the soap while doing this movie at night. Before I dive into the movie, I want to talk about the Blu-ray set and what a piss poor job Fox did on these bare bones, little to no special features, and to top it all off, a weird fucking ratio. Fuck you, Fox. Fuck you. With that, it's on the show. Well, this, folks, may be a long one as this movie is over two plus hours long. Anyway, starring Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, Alan Rickman, Reginald Vell Johnson, William Arterton, and directed by John McTiernan. The plot, a lone NYPD cop, has to deal with a group of terrorists taking over the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles during, during a Christmas party. Can this lone cop stop the terror, or is it a strange wife and wife and the other hostages dead. So the movie opens up on a plane landing in LAX and we meet NYPD cop John McClane, played by Bruce Willis in arguably his most iconically famous role, as he's told by a fellow passenger to take his shoes and socks off when he gets to his destination and make balls of his feet, a big mistake for later on in the movie. We then see him making his way through the airport where he's picked up by limo driver Argyle played by Devox White. Ah, the 80s, where not only could you carry a gun on an airplane, but you could smoke in an airport. At his destination, we see Christmas Party in full swing, hosted by Joseph Takagi, played James Shigata, the boss of McLean's estranged wife, Holly Gennaro, played by Bonnie Bedelia. However, Holly isn't in the festive mood, so sneaks off to do work when she's bothered by L.A. Slimeball and Oliver's 80s douchebag, Harry Ellis, played by Hart Brochner. Of Supergirl fame, no, not the 2015 hit TV show, but the 1985 movie that bombed, in fact, is one of the worst female superhero movies, and that includes Catwoman. Ah, yes, the 80s, where you could smoke and drink while being pregnant. Like, fuck, I'm a 70s child. So Holly calls home to check on the kids, and we are introduced to Lucy and John McClane, played by Taylor Fry and Noah Land, who didn't reprise their roles in much later movies. Ouch! Also, Nanny Pollyanna, played by Betty Carhavo, of Halloween 5, as she's asked if McLean phoned and to get her to fix up the spare room. Ouch! As she hangs up, she slams down John's photo. Double ouch! In the limo, uh, drive to the Nakatomi Plaza, which was actually the Fox building at the time, we find 
out, McLean is a total arsehole who refused to move to Los Angeles with Holly and the kids as he resents Holly's career and success, thinking she'd run back to him in a matter of weeks. Jeez, no matter she wants a divorce, this guy's a prick. This explains why she's under her maiden name in the company directory. This saves her until much later in the movie. As McLean arrives at the party is in full swing, Mr. Takagi takes him to Holly's office where where they find Ellis snorting coke. You gotta love the 80s, where you can do a class A drug and nobody bats an eye. In walks Holly to an awkward moment where Ellis slimes, show him the watch. It's a Rolex, knowing farewell, McLean could never afford it. What a fucking asshole. In more awkward talk, we see Holly asking where McLean is staying, then almost begging to go back home with her. However, all he's interested in doing is arguing as he's having a horror bath in the toilet sink. And the fight is about why she's using her maiden name. What a fucking asshole. Meanwhile, Hans Gruber, played by the late, great Alan Rickman of Harry Potter and Dogma fame, a great movie you must check out if you haven't already saw it, and his gang pull up into a parking garage of Nakatomi building and then quickly take over. Why are all bad guys in American movies British is beyond me, but hey ho. Anyway, cut to McLean making fists with his toes as he phones Argyle, still in a parking garage, to tell him to wait on him as things with him and Holly are still a tad hostile. Gee, you think? As Fritz, played by Hans Berger, hacks into the phone line, however, Carl, uh, played by Alexander Godunov, cuts him with a chainsaw, pissing him off royally. Meanwhile, Theo, played by Clarence Gilliard hacks into the computers, first at sailing the building and then turning off all the elevators before hacking into the building's safe, which is weirdly on the 30th floor. In walks Gruber and his goons and quickly takes over as John hides in the upper floors. Gruber quickly calms the crowd down, then hunts down Mr. Takagi by listing his achievements, where he is quickly taken to the higher floor floor and shot for not hanging over the password. As John looks on, he has done a quick sweep of the higher floors, finding construction on one, computers on another floor and Takagi's office on this in utter stunned horror. It is here we find out Gruber's plan to steal $640 million in bearer bonds. Unfortunately, McLean makes a noise after Takagi's brains are splattered on the door. So Carl and Tony, his little brother, played by Andreas Wisniewski, investigate Finding nothing, they go on with their plan, and I apologise for these mispronunciations of these names. Meanwhile, on the roof, oh, some of the gang are planting bombs. McLean sets off the firearm in hopes of getting help. However, one of the gang in the lobby, calls 911, says it was a mistake. So Gruber sends Tony to investigate the floor, where he and McLean have a fist fight, and then leading to McLean snapping his neck as both fall down the stairs. Theo then finds the piss poor password in a matter of minutes and proceeds to cut into the vault using a drill. McLean now has a machine gun as he sends down Tony's dead body with a quote on it, saying, Now a machine gun, ho ho ho, on his jumper. In the lift shaft, John makes his way to the roof where he uses the radio to taken from Tony to call for help. Unfortunately, Hans hears it and sends Carol to stop him not getting help from anyone operators until they hear gunfire. They send Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Vell Johnson of Family Matters fame, to do a drive past. One thing, why is a desk jockey on the streets? And also, why is he buying so many fucking Twinkies? On the roof, 
McLean is in a gunfight with Carl and two others, so McLean runs off and hides in the lift shafts. Where they covered up a mistake by a stuntman, but kept in the movie, the mistake was he was supposed to catch the first vent, not fall down to the second vent. It's here. McLean has another iconic quote. Now, I know what a TV dinner feels like as he crawls through the air vents. One quick thing, do all Germans have blonde hair? Because in this movie, the bloody well sure do. Moving on, Sergeant Al finally shows up but is talked away by one of the Gruber's goons in the lobby. So McLean uses a chair to smash a window, which at 30 plus 4 up smashes ridiculously easily. Unfortunately, a goon hears it, so investigates with another, who is quickly killed by McLean. Unfortunately, the other one stalks and mocks him until McLean kills him by emptying his gun into him. As Al pulls away, John throws down the body, which hits his car as a terrorist shoots the car to shreds so mclean quotes welcome to the party pal cut to sleazy tv news reporter richard thornburg played by william arterton needle dick himself from ghostbusters listening in on a police scanner back in the nakatomi building the cops shop in droves however grober isn't worried grober rather isn't worried as he needs the help from them to cut the final seal on the vault it's here McLean taunts Hans on a radio about his ever thinning ranks. Also, where he gets his nickname and ultimately his most iconic quote from this movie Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. From Roy Rogers, one of the last parts from Willis, but hey ho, moving on. At the TV station, Thornburg begs for a TV truck to do his story at an Academy building. Finally, his chief resents it and gives him one anyway. Meanwhile, on the radio, McLean tells Al everything he knows as Squat and other comps arrive, including Deputy Chief Dwayne Robson, played by Paul Gleason of Breakfast Club and Van Wilder fame. Who quickly takes over, makes a harsh job of it. Holly, now in charge by default, reasons with Hans for toilet breaks and a sofa for her pregnant assistant. Unfortunately, Hans has taken over her office, so all her photos are in there, including the one she put face down earlier. Finally, Argyle hears via the news after parting on his lonesome in the back of the limousine and talking to his girl on the f car phone. Now, for my younger listeners, a car phone was something rich people had in their cars before mobiles or cell phones took over about the siege. Even though there was gunfire galore, that's the first time he hears it. Jesus, jinkies. Moving on. Outside, Deputy Chief sends in the squat team, which are quickly gunned down. Up in the computer room, all McLean can do is watch as this all goes sideways. Meanwhile, Agayo tries in vain to get out, so he has to just sit and wait. So, the idiot squat leader doesn't listen to Al as Theo is watching and telling the terrorists what is happening and where via CCTV camera. The squat leader sends an APC, which is quickly blown up via a rocket launcher. In an annoyed panic, McLean uses some of the C-40 took from a terrorist earlier to blow up the ground floor and almost killing himself in a backdraft. With the LAPD embarrassed on live TV, Deputy Chief tries to take over from Al on radio, however McLean quickly shoots him down saying he's in charge of jack shit and demands to talk to Al again. On the 30th floor, that dumb fuck Alice tries to sweet talk Hans, however his cocaine fueled mind is quickly shot by Hans. On the radio, Al and John bound until Gruber butts in with the vision Ellis gave him. And I find it ironic how Ellis dies with a can of coke in his hands. Al stands up to the deputy chief after he tries to chew about, about the fact that McLean could do nothing for Ellis and he has had no help from the LAPD. So Hans gets on radio and demands other terrorists throughout the world to be released or the hostages die. 
yet more male bonding with Al and McLean, with Al telling him he's just a desk jockey. Meanwhile, Gruber gets Carl to hunt down McLean for the detonators as he checks on the explosives on the roof. Just then, the FBI show up, Special Agent Johnson, played by Robert Devay, and Agent Johnson, played by Grand Bush. No relationship, no relation rather, because that's funny, right? No, that's a fucking lame-ass joke. These two are just as useless as the LAPD. As Han checks on the explosives, he by chance bumps into McLean. It's here by accident the producers found out Alan Rickman is actually great at doing American accents, so this part was written on the fly. Note, Rickman is limping as this was the first week of shooting and when he jumped off that three foot ledge, he damaged his knees. So he had to wear a brace under his suit for the rest of the film. At first he claims to be a hostage and notices McLean is barefoot, so after giving McLean a false name, Name, McLean hands over his gun, a customised Beretta 92F, as Bruce Willis is left-handed, something which I didn't realise until I watched the special features, or rather, director's commentary on this blurry, uh, which he points at him and demands the detonators. Luckily, the gun John hands over has no bullets. Just then, Carl and other terrorists show up, and they have a huge shootout, which Hans tells them he's barefoot. To shoot the glass, leaving McLean no choice but to run through the broken glass to make his escape. Note you never see Rickman's face as he's firing a gun because he tends to blink uncontrollably. Outside, Thornburg discovers where Holly lives and goes to her home where not only does he threaten to have the nanny deported but put the kids on live TV. Which leads to Hans knowing Holly is McLean's wife. Well done that man. Well done that man. I wouldn't have punched you out. I would have sued your ass for not endangering me but my kids' lives, you fucking asshole. It cuts back to John and this is the part I can't watch without feeling sick as in the bathroom John pulls shards of glass from his bare bleeding feet. Yet more male bonding from John and Al as we hear Al's sad backstory about how he killed a 13 year old boy by mistake in a dark alley with a fake ray gun and that is why he's a desk jockey and he hasn't pulled out his gun since. Outside the FBI cut the power to the building just as Hans cuts through the final seal on the vault. One thing, why would a vault just open once the power is cut? Anyway, moving on. All to joy swells which has been playing or hummed throughout the movie as the vault opens. So Leo and other terrorists empty the vault. Thornburg appears at Holly's house. The feds get a gunship and not an ordinary helicopter but a fully armed gunship in the air which they plan to use to take down the terrorists and 25% of the hostages as quote collateral damage. Now on one foot and bleeding profusely John checks the roof and finds yet more explosives. Unfortunately, before John could warn Al, he's caught by Carl and to have an all-out slugfest because John has killed his little brother. Meanwhile, on TV, Hans learns who Holly is thanks to Thornburg. As Hans sends the hostages to the roof, the feds have their gunship in the air. Special Agent Johnson quips he'll be fine by losing 20-25% of the hostages, much to the annoyance of Agent Johnson. Back with John and Carl's fight. John gets shot in the back so Carl hunts him down following the blood trail. The two have another slugfest until John hangs Carl with a chain killing him. Making his way to the roof, McLean gets the hostages out of there as the feds show up thinking he's a terrorist and try to shoot him, shooting at him. Leading to the stunt of the movie as McLean uses a fire hose to get off the roof before it blows. Just then, Hand blows it up, taking out the feds helicopter. 
in the garage. Argyle sees Theo trying to make a run for it in an ambulance. They have star stashed rather in the truck they're of in on, even though the truck was empty and that thing would never fit in the back of that truck in the first place. But hey ho, John finds out he only has two bolts for his handgun and the machine gun is now empty. In the garage, Argyle totals the limo by ramming it into the ambulance and then knocks out Leo with one really weak punch. On the 30th floor, John faces off with hands, much to the stunned Holly, as John is battered, bloodied and bruised, barely holding it together on one foot. Hans backs off against the window, holds John at gunpoint and all John does is laugh. As he pulls out a hidden gun taped to his back and using Christmas tape, he quickly kills the lobby guard with a bullet to the head and shoots Hans. As he falls back, he grabs Holly. However, McLean saves her by unclasping her Rolex, which Hans has been hanging on to as he falls to his death. Note. The reaction of fear on Rickman's face was real as he dropped him on two, not three, from the rug he was sitting in. As Hans' body falls, it's raining bonds, Holly and John embrace. Outside, Holly and John are surrounded by the press as John sees Al for the first time. So John and Holly walk off hand in hand and Carl raises from the dead only to be gunned down by Al. Why would a terrorist still have his machine gun next to him is beyond me, but moving on. Holly punches out Thornburg as they drive off in a girl's limo, which miraculously can be driven even though he totaled it seconds earlier. As the two kiss in the back seat, credits roll. So that was Die Hard, everybody's favourite non-Christmas movie, which I loved the PlayStation 1 game back in the 90s, but I hated the NES game in the 80s. Don't I added that, but I just did. This is the definition of an anti-Stallone or Arnie movie with an everyday man lead in Willis and tore down explosions and fight scenes. 8 out of 10. Come back next week for my look at Die Hard 2, then Lethal Open 1 and finally Batman Returns. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, all lowercase, and email me what you thought of my podcast to Here's Johnny Reviews at gmail.com, all lowercase. Don't forget to check out my other podcasts such as The Gremlins, Psycho and James Bond franchises, as many others on my SoundCloud. A bye-bye.